Hi, hello, and welcome to episode number 50, episode 50 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. My name is Adi Elmore. I appreciate you being here. And uh, boy, oh boy, do we have a lot to talk about. I'm going to give you an NFL history lesson at some point in this show, something that I learned just today that I felt was so neat, so interesting, that I had to share with you. We'll talk a little bit about Major League Baseball. We'll talk a little bit about the NBA. You'll hear a game winner from the NBA just a couple of nights ago. You'll hear from Jonathan Cooper, the senior at Ohio State, as we discuss college football and uh, its impending doom. And some people would say it already is very much doomed. We'll talk about all of those things. But first, let me tell you about Elite Sports News. Check out Elite Sports News. Go to EliteNewsUS.com. They've got all the latest sports information and updates. You've got good articles, great photography, a lot of good content going on there. You'll learn about a lot of the things that they've got going on when it comes to uh, college football closing down and um, shutting down in various operations and parts of the country. Go to EliteNewsUS.com. Check out Elite Sports News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. They've got all the latest content, and uh, I have a page there for this podcast as well. So go check out Elite Sports News, Elite News US. So we're going to talk about, like I said, Major League Baseball. We're going to talk about the NBA, yada, yada, yada. But more importantly, and at the forefront of everyone's mind, is college football. Now, when I started writing the notes to this podcast, what I wanted to talk about at the time, there was still going to be a college football season in the Big Ten Conference. Several hours later, here we are, no season in the Big Ten. The answer continues to be, or excuse me, the question continues to be, what is the solution to this problem? There are reports that came out earlier this week saying the Big Ten had voted to cancel the season, 12-2, that Iowa and Nebraska were the only two who voted that they wanted to play. Then the Big Ten said no decision had been made. There was a ton of backlash at the original report saying that they were going to cancel the season. So people started to say, "Okay, well, maybe the Big Ten put this out there looking at the backlash. And now they're saying, "Mm, nah, baby, nah, maybe we should reconsider. Maybe we should try to find a way to play. Or on the flip side, maybe the presidents looked at the people and said, give us a reason not to play that will that will hold these people over. Sorry to say for the presidents, that's not going to happen. There's basically no reason you can give that would hold most of these people over. And then on top of that, you've got the ACC and the SEC saying they want to play and that they will play. This obviously doesn't help anything because you've got medical professionals from the Power Five conferences all saying different things. Who's getting the best information? What's really going on? That's what everybody wants to know. There were pushback from major coaches, especially Ryan Day, who said, this is not over. We will fight for our kids. We will fight for this team and for the opportunity to play. There was a huge coordinated effort on social media led by guys like Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, so on and so forth, with the hashtag, we want to play. It was all over, and it was strong. It didn't help all that much. The argument could be made, quite honestly, that it's safer for college athletes, and specifically college football players, to be on campus, in their facilities, playing football with access to COVID-19 tests, with uh, limited, being, I guess to say, limited in terms of they have access to facilities that no one else has access to. They are essentially privatized, and 
the point being that they could have a quasi-bubble for college programs. The point could also be made that it's completely unsafe during a global, global, global pandemic and the logistics are just too much to legitimately and safely play football across the United States. I think that with most things, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. So that's where we stood. And then late on Tuesday afternoon, around 2 or 3 o'clock, probably not all that late, the Big Ten had announced that they officially canceled the football season. But before we get into that, I want to tell you about where my mind was at when it comes to this. From the very beginning, I said, if you're going to have college football, if it's that important to you, if you have to do it, then you essentially would have to say that there's no other students on campus, which makes no sense and they'd never be able to do that. You would have to find a way to legitimately bubble these college football teams, which is nearly impossible because of A, the sheer amount of people involved in the college football program, not just the players, training staff, coaching staff, um, video people, recruiting coordinators, recruiting you know, hosts, everything, everything, all these people. It would be nearly impossible. However, I do think that there is, in a way, a potential solution, and it is that quasi-bubble. So let's say you do bring everybody back. You're going to ask your players to sacrifice quite a bit, and we'll get into what Ohio State senior Jonathan Cooper said about that. He might actually, he might not be a senior. I don't know if he is. I think he is. I could be wrong on that. But Jonathan Cooper gave a really moving speech to his teammates on Monday before they knew uh, on Tuesday that the season had been canceled. But here was my thinking. Okay, let's say we do want to play. The college football players are going to have to have serious and legitimate sacrifices be made. So what if they all live together in their own dorms, in their own buildings, in their own apartments, the football program finds a way to get all these players living together. That would be step number one. Step number two would be that all the football players, and we're talking football specifically, and I know this goes much further than football because all fall sports have been canceled in the Big Ten and then Pac-12, but all these players, all these athletes specifically, football players, take online classes. Now, that's also difficult because some of these guys are majoring in things that require labs, that require you to show up, so or other things that might require in-person meeting. So your solution there, in my opinion, is get everybody to take online classes that you can, and for those that have to be in-person classes, find a way to get the professors or some way somehow to teach at the facility. Because God knows, looking at these Power 5 programs, there's enough room in these facilities for them to have classes. So maybe do that. Other students are the major issue because they will continue to party whether or not they want to, or whether or not they, you want them to. Younger players, freshmen, red-shirted guys, they're going to be an issue because it means less to them because they're not going to get to play anyway, so they'll be more likely to go hang out with their friends, go hang out with their girl, go to the party, go to the club, all these things. So where's the sacrifice at? That's what I wanted to know. And that's where Ohio State's Jonathan Cooper came in. He said this to his teammates on Monday 
the day before the Big Ten fall football season had been postponed to the spring. When I think about my five years here and how much I sacrificed to try to have a healthy year, a healthy season, to get through it and do what I want to do with y'all, like this is easy for me. This is easy sacrifice. I can wear a mask. I don't have to go out and see nobody. I live by myself. I'm cool. I don't be around nobody. This is, a, this is one of the easiest sacrifices I ever had to make here. This is nothing to me because of all the years and the work that I put in with Coach Mick, Coach Day, Coach Johnson, and working here and being here, me getting hurt last year. That, 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 me, me getting hurt last year and not being with y'all brothers, not being every single game, man, that hurt me way, way more than me not being able to go out to the club, me not being able to see my friends. That means nothing to me. The only thing that matters to me is y'all, y'all being safe in this season. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm back. I don't care about wearing a mask. I don't care about being social distance. And I know some of the young guys, they, man, they might not get it. But for me, for being a fifth-year senior here, all the work I put in here, this is an easy sacrifice. And all I ask y'all is y'all to think about that too, man. When y'all out there at the club, you're not just putting yourself at risk. You're putting the team, the coaches, and my season at risk. And I, and I, and I can't have that, man. But I love y'all boys. And, and just be safe. We're really, just be, be safe, be smart. Because in order for us to have a season, that's what we got to do. Listen to Coach Johnson. Listen to Coach Day. Listen to Coach Mick. Listen to everybody, man, all right? Love y'all boys. That's great stuff. That's great stuff, and that is essentially what's at the core of this issue. And it's still at the core of the issue for teams in the ACC and the SEC, the Big 12, and so on, because that kind of sacrifice is what is needed unilaterally by amateur athletes to make this happen. You're seeing in Major League Baseball right now that even the professional athletes can't, consume, can't seem to control themselves. They can't pull themselves away from breaking protocol, from doing moves, from, 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 from doing things and, and breaking rules. If the, NF, if the NBA wasn't so locked down, they would have people doing the same thing, and you kind of did at the beginning with Lou Williams. So I think it's just a completely impossible ask to have these college athletes, these football players, do that. I don't think it would ever happen. So now the question is, we're going we're gonna to postpone this football season back to spring. What does that mean, A, in its entirety, and B, what does it mean for the NFL? Well, the short answer for what it means to the NFL is nothing. The NFL has their own fish to fry at the moment, and they can't be too bothered by this as it currently stands. But that's the NFL's quote-unquote downtime. So they don't really have to worry about it that much. Here's what I think will end up happening. First of all, let's just check in on the NFL. Training camps are in full swing by now. Full contact starts next week. There are currently 107 players on the COVID slash injured list when it comes to the NFL. That doesn't mean all of them are testing positive, but that means that could mean something like they, their tests have come back inconclusive, they were around somebody that had it, they had to go somewhere, so they're being quarantined, so on and so forth. That doesn't mean that they've all tested positive. That just means that they're currently in, a, in essentially a waiting period. So the way it currently stands, written in the collective bargaining agreement, is that the 2020 NFL draft cannot take place anytime after June 2nd. It's currently scheduled for April 29th through May 1st in Cleveland. The NFL Players Association would have to approve that the draft be delayed, pushed back, because if you're going to play a spring college football season, 
it would have to be pushed back. So maybe college football starts the weekend after the Super Bowl. Maybe they play a certain number of games. Maybe they do a one-time expansion to the college football playoff just to see what it what it would look like. Let's say they play eight games, a conference championship game, and then they have an eight-team college football playoff. Does that put you around, I don't know, July 4th? Would that be acceptable as your national championship July 4th? I mean, first of all, it sounds lit. July 4th national title game sounds awesome. But you're then expecting these guys to work out, combine, draft, and play again in September? That seems like a lot, especially trying to learn an NFL playbook. So here's what I think might just happen. And I just thought of this a little bit ago before the show. The NFL has been wanting for years to push the Super Bowl back to President's Day weekend. That way that everyone has the Monday off and Super Bowl Sunday becomes an even bigger holiday than it already is. It is my belief that the NFL will push back the first two weeks of this season so that they will give themselves the opportunity to do that at the start of 2021, in February of 2021, so that they would have Super Bowl 55 on President's Day weekend this year. If they can push everything back with college football playing in the spring and ending their season mid-June, early July, continue to push everything back a couple more weeks, then the NFL could essentially because they're also adding another game next year, get to a consistent Super Bowl on President's Day weekend every year. Maybe that means that just means pushing the start of the season back a little bit. I don't know. Adding a bye week here and there. I don't know. So there, there's a lot of mathematics. There's a lot of people that are paid a lot more than me to figure it out. But I think that that is the long-term play and what this might long-term eventually lead to when it comes to the NFL. And people are saying, well, what about the NBA? The NBA plays, uh, the, NBA plays the All-Star game on, on, uh, on President's Day weekend. First of all, the NFL doesn't care about that. The NFL will say, okay, well, the NBA is going to have to adjust to us. But I think this, living in a fantasy land that I like to do sometimes, what if the NFL – And now, everything I just said was very serious. What I'm about to say is only half serious. What if – think about how lit this would be. What if the NBA and the NFL worked together so that the NBA All-Star Game was in the same city as the Super Bowl, and instead of having NBA All-Star Saturday night, you would have NBA All-Star Friday night. That has your dunk contest, your three-point contest, your skills competition. Saturday night, you have the NBA All-Star Game, and Sunday, you have the Super Bowl. So you've got all these NFL guys at the NBA All-Star festivities. You've got all these NBA guys at the, at the Super Bowl. You work it out with the TV networks. You figure it out. So I'm sure Fox would want a piece of that. I'm sure NBC would want a piece of some NBA action. Everybody's got a price. It would do insane for the Super Bowl host cities. And that'd be great TV. So, hey, something to think about. I know I just said people are paid a lot more than me to figure stuff like that out. They are. Uh, I haven't heard a better idea than that so far. But I think long-term... Extended playoffs, extended season in the NFL, and they're going to have that Super Bowl on President's Day weekend probably going. I mean, you think the Super Bowl used to be the last weekend in January. 
or the second to last weekend of January. And now we're into the first Sunday in February, and now here we go. Let's keep moving it back. The NFL wants as short of offseason as possible because they want the news cycle on them 24-7. And I think that's how it's going to be. I'm disappointed. Okay, I, I didn't really give my opinion on college football. I'm disappointed. It sucks, obviously. But it's just it's I, it's inconceivable how they would be able to do this. And the players are pissed and the coaches are pissed, and I get that. I understand it totally. But I just don't know how they'd be able to do it right now. And I don't know if it'd be worth it. There's now these reports coming out about a heart condition that 10 players in the Big Ten have. The liability there is a huge issue. And I don't think it's just solved as simply as signing a liability waiver over saying that, you know what I mean? I just don't think it's that simple. There's a lot of layers to this, and there's a lot we still don't know. And as we know with coronavirus, there's a lot we continue to find out every single day. It continues to change. So does it suck? Yeah, absolutely. As someone that loves Ohio State football, that loves college football in general, it sucks a lot because that is a staple of what you do. In, in the fall for me and for a lot of my friends and for the people I care about. It sucks. It's a big deal to a lot of us, and I, you don't get to experience that, at least not here. And the SEC, Greg Sankey went on with Dan Patrick this morning. Greg Sankey is the uh, commissioner of the SEC, and he said that because there's these rumors about, oh, what if Ohio State goes and joins the SEC for a season, or what if Justin Fields transfers or this or whatever, yada, yada, yada. Or what if everybody cancels their season except the SEC? Would you still play? And Greg Sankey said just because – he goes, first of all, I think we could still do that. And second of all, he goes, just because I think we could doesn't mean that we should. And I don't know that I would make that decision. Because just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. And I think that would be somewhat asinine if all the other major conferences canceled – and the SEC didn't. Because at that point, what are you proving? What are you solving? Nothing. It'd be silly. All right, we're going to take a quick break. This is the Ball Don't Lie podcast, episode number 50. I'm your host, Adi Elmore. We will be right back after this. We're going to check in on Major League Baseball and uh, what's going on in the NBA as well. You're listening to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. Thank you for listening to that. And if you skipped over it, thank you for that too. At least you're here It is time for a story, for a history lesson, when it comes to the NFL. Every once in a while at one of my jobs, we'll get a phone call. And on the other end of the line is someone that has some sort of historical significance to the NFL. These calls don't happen very frequently or very much at all, but they do happen. And recently, one of them did happen. I answered the phone and the man said, this is Earl Christie. Super Bowl champion, New York Jets. I was relatively taken back by this. I helped Mr. Christie best that I could, and then our phone call ended. I had never heard of him, so I did what most people would do, and I looked him up. Come to find out, Earl Christie wasn't lying. He was a Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl III with the New York Jets, famously the game that Joe Joe Namath guaranteed the Jets would win. Now, Earl Christie didn't have a particularly impressive NFL career. He only played for a few seasons, and he simply put was nothing special. But one thing he does have going for him is that he's a part of one of the most interesting moments and influential moments in sports television history. I'm going to read you this story directly off the Wikipedia page about what is called the Heidi game. But first, 
Let's hit the music. Thank you. Here we go. The 1968 season also saw the Jets involved in one of the most notorious incidents in television history, an incident that would change the way television networks carried sporting events for decades to come. In November of 1968, just before 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the Jets scored late to take a 32-29 lead over the Oakland Raiders. There was one minute and five seconds left. NBC cut to a commercial, and then everywhere but the West Coast showed the movie Heidi, a show which NBC had promoted extensively for the sweeps period. Outraged fans bombarded NBC headquarters in New York with phone calls demanding the game be restored. So many phone calls, in fact, that they eventually knocked out the NBC switchboard. Even though a decision had already been made to carry the game to its conclusion, that decision was not communicated and it could not because the switchboard was down, thus resulting in the movie starting on schedule and playing. Now, fans' ire was further fueled when they discovered that NBC's cutting away from the game denied them from seeing a very dramatic finish. On the Raiders' second play from scrimmage on the next drive, Daryl LaMonica threw a 46-yard touchdown pass to Charlie Smith giving the Raiders a 36-32 lead. On the ensuing kickoff, Earl Christie, the man I talked on the phone with, of the New York Jets, fumbled the football at the 10-yard line, which the Raiders' Preston Riddlehuber picked up and converted for a touchdown, ultimately giving the Raiders a 43-32 victory. Much of the country learned of this final outcome only via a bottom-of-the-screen crawl line shown during the movie. This incident, dubbed the Heidi Game, resulted in most television networks and sports leagues amending their television policies to ensure that games in progress would be broadcast to their conclusion no matter what, even if it meant delaying or canceling the rest of the network's lineup, and even if the game's outcome seemed assured. I was blown away by this. I had never heard of the Heidi game. I had never heard of Earl Christie, and all of a sudden here I am learning about both of them in the course of 10 minutes. And that is your NFL history lesson on this episode of Ball Don't Lie. I hope you were as intrigued by that as I was. Now, let's move on from the NFL to Major League Baseball. A few things about how I feel and what I think. I'm currently watching the Reds as they are in extra innings against the worst team in baseball. And, you know, the first thing I had written down here is that I don't feel as bad about the Reds as I did last week, but I just saw them blow another lead thanks to their bullpen. And, uh, Maybe I just don't feel about the Reds at all. I said last week, this is a very important eight-game stretch. Two against the Kansas City Royals, four against the Pittsburgh Pirates, and two more against the Royals, the two worst teams in Major League Baseball. They have to win at least six to seven, and and hopefully all eight of them. Especially the six that are at home, even though there's no home field advantage, I get that, but still... You've got to beat the bad teams if you want to give yourself a chance to win. The Reds have not done that, and they are in the process of blowing it right now. Like I said, I don't feel as bad about them as I did last week, but the bullpen still sucks, and Michael Lorenzen does especially. He can't figure it out to save his life when it comes to the bullpen. He's pitched in seven games. He's given up 
like six home runs or six run. Or he's given up a run in six of those seven. It's just awful. Bad. Bad. This week, the next eight games, these are get-right games for the Reds. They've got to get right, and they've got to get it going now. They've got to get themselves on a run because if they don't, they're screwed. Speaking of screwed, the St. Louis Cardinals still have not played a game in quite some time. They've played only five games this year. They've had 15 games postponed, and they're approaching maybe even over 20 positive COVID tests. They have 55 games left to play in 40-some days. How exactly is that going to work? They can't play all those seven-inning doubleheaders back-to-back-to-back-to-back. There was also an I just don't understand how they think this is going to happen. There have been reports in the past saying that ESPN, or not ESPN, that's saying that Major League Baseball doesn't really care how many games you play as long as they get to the playoffs. Well, that's obviously not going to be very effective because you've got to have a winning percentage. You've got to right that wrong somehow, especially with expanded playoffs. I don't know how they're going to do it. Speaking of playoffs, there was an ESPN report that came out today saying what I had said on this podcast last week or two weeks ago, that if Major League Baseball wants to finish their season, if they want to legitimately play the playoffs and avoid a coronavirus outbreak like has been seen with the St. Louis Cardinals, with the Miami Marlins, then they're going to have to put the playoffs in a bubble. And this ESPN report says that baseball has started to consider a postseason bubble if they need to and they continue to have issues. I'm telling you, that might be the only way to do it because there's going to be more. There's always going to be more. Speaking of issues, the Cleveland Indians had two pitchers break protocol, break team rules, and go out with friends for dinner after a game in Chicago over the weekend. Those pitchers were Dan Plezak and Mike Clevenger, two of the best pitchers on the Indians starting staff. Not the best, not their ace, but two of their best pitchers. Well, it was found out early on that Plezak had broken the rules and the Indians told him to go self-quarantine, gave him a rental car, and told him to drive his ass back to Cleveland from Chicago. Talk about breaking the rule and having to pay the price. Then on the team plane, Mike Clevenger vehemently defends Zach Plezak and reveals that he was out with Plezak that night. That pisses the Indians off even more. They tell him to go quarantine, and now they're out two of their starting pitchers. Listen, the Indians are handling it the way you should. If players break protocol, discipline, get them out of here because you can't afford to go through what the St. Louis Cardinals are going through, even if it's two of your best players. Because the Cardinals aren't playing baseball games. It's just it's unbelievable. And you go back to sacrifice. How does a guy, a young man, like Jonathan Cooper, no better than professional athletes like Mike Clevenger and Zach Plezak. That's unbelievable. It's not unbelievable. Everything's believable this year, but it's sad. Reds get out of the ninth inning, or excuse me, the tenth inning as I'm recording this. They will play in the bottom of the tenth. Somehow they continue to do it. Let's take a look at uh, the major league leaders as I record this podcast. Let's uh, let's run through the league leaderboards. First with home runs, there are two people tied with the league league in home runs at eight. That is Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees and Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Diego Padres. Your league leader in batting average is Charlie Blackman of the Colorado Rockies. He's hitting 484. He also leads the league in runs batted in. He's tied, actually, with Aaron Judge of the Yankees. They each have 19. Your stolen base leader is Tommy Pham of the San Diego Padres. He's got five. 
Pitching statistics, ERA, there are two people at the top. The first and the best in Major League Baseball is Randy Dobnak of the Minnesota Twins. He's at a 0.9 ERA. And second is Trevor Bauer from your Cincinnati Reds at a 0.93 ERA. For wins, there are seven pitchers tied with three wins, a few of them including Sonny Gray of the Reds, Shane Bieber of the Indians, and Garrett Cole of the New York Yankees. Your league leader in strikeouts is Shane Bieber of the Cleveland Indians. He's got 43 already. Let's talk about the NBA just for a quick second. I have watched more NBA over the past couple of uh, days, over the last week since I last recorded, and there's still some things that continue to ring true. First and foremost, that the Los Angeles Lakers offense is atrocious, and we've known this for a while now since they've come back to the bubble. It's hard to believe that the Lakers, who I was just singing the praises of last week, can have two of the best players on earth in LeBron James and Anthony Davis and still have a offense so bad. Well, on Monday night or Sunday night or whenever it was this week, I believe it was Monday night, they got picked up in a big way by Kyle Kuzma. LeBron to inbound. Bates Diop is on him. Anthony Davis picked up by Bull. Here comes Kuzma for the win. Got it! Point four to go. They got the lead. Timeout Denver. 124-121. What a shot by Kyle Kuzma. The great Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller on the call. Kyle Kuzma, the game winner over the Denver Nuggets the other night. And listen, I don't understand the Lakers. I I I think that they're still the favorite to win. I said that. I believe that. But it's hard to believe that their team is as bad as they've been. LeBron James said post game that they're not going to win a championship with if Kyle Kuzma doesn't play well. He is the key, basically, is what LeBron is saying. It's going to be really interesting in the West. I don't have the same worries about the Lakers that I do the Clippers. I don't pretend to be an NBA expert, but that's just something that I feel. Here's something else that I feel is that you really shouldn't totally write off the defending champion Toronto Raptors because they are a tough, tough team. They beat the Milwaukee Bucks the other night. I understand Giannis didn't play, but they are still very, very good. They're well-coached. Kyle Lowry, you've got the experience. You're coming off of a championship. I think the Eastern Conference is going to be a lot more interesting than people think and be a lot more fun than people think. The Lakers and the Clippers and the Western Conference and, and with the Trailblazers and everything, they're getting all the attention. By the way, Dame Lillard, 61 on Tuesday night. Dude is insane. The Phoenix Suns are undefeated in the bubble. Devin Booker with a game winner the other night. Then he's commenting on Kyle, Kendall Jenner's Instagram. Things are going crazy. The bubble is at its peak. The NBA is doing great. But uh, I think the Eastern Conference is going to be a lot of fun. I really, truly do. Boston is a sneaky good team. I love Jason Tate, Jason Tatum. I love I love so much of what uh, what the Eastern Conference is from what I've seen so far. The playoffs start next week, I believe on the 17th. That's when I will be much more locked in to the NBA playoffs. But, hey, we did talk a little bit of NBA. But I was left with a question. I was I was texted a question earlier this week. This person said he might want to discuss this on the podcast. And I'm going to leave it open and talk about it next week. But this person gave me what they believe is the greatest all-time starting five in NBA history. And here's what they said. 
is this, and, and you can, I want you to do this. Tweet me at Audie Elmore, A-U-T-Y-E-L-M-O-R-E. If you know me well enough, text me. Slide up on the Instagram story. Do whatever it is. Audie Elmore on all the social medias. And give me your all-time fantasy top five starting five in the NBA. Here's his. Untucked jersey Kyrie. Hard to beat that. Dude was a cold-blooded killer. Jersey-biting Kobe. I mean, that's scary just thinking about it. Altitude sickness, Michael Jordan, or a.k.a. food poisoning, Michael Jordan, a.k.a. flu game, Michael Jordan, hoodie mellow, and bubble T.J. Warren. T.J. Warren has been, aside from the Suns being undefeated and the Lakers not being able to score, the story of the bubble. This dude is averaging 39.7 points per game, 5.7 rebounds a game, three assists, two blocks, two steals. He's shooting 65% from the field and 60% from three-point range. He's dropped 60 and 30 and 40. The dude is just playing out of his mind. T.J. Warren of the Indiana Pacers, another team that could make a lot of noise in the playoffs. Listen, this has been what I think maybe, possibly, potentially – the best podcast that I've recorded so far. It feels like the best. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Be sure to check out Elite Sports News. Go to EliteNewsUS.com to find out more about what they've got going on and the uh, the articles that they have been writing. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. I look forward to being back here a week from now to talk more about baseball, what we've learned about college football, and uh, so much more. Remember, folks, ball don't lie. And in the meantime, have fun, be safe, and always... Go Bucks.